Let me read the scripture uh, today. It's from the Gospel of Mark. It's in chapter 10. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony and you shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, well, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Now, at uh, first glance, uh, this story raises uh, at least a couple of really interesting theological questions. The first one is, what does a person do to inherit eternal life? And the second one is, what does Jesus have against rich people? It's hard enough to make a budget every year. So Jesus, if you wouldn't insult some of the donors, that would be good. Jesus doesn't seem to understand how ministry budgets work sometimes. Mark says that Jesus was on the way. And we know where he is on the way to. He's on the way to Jerusalem. He's on the way to a cross. And while he is on the way to suffer for us so that we might have eternal life, a man comes up to him and asks, how can I have eternal life? Now Mark just says he's a man. Matthew tells us that he's young. Luke tells us that he was a ruler. So when you hear people talk about the, the story of the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler is not in any gospel. He is actually the sum of all the gospels. Um, in Mark's gospel, he's just a man. Honestly, I wish he were uh, young and a ruler. I would like the story better. Because you see, I'm not young. I'm not a ruler. And I'm not rich. So then I could reassure myself that this story is not about me. It's about you. Well, he, he ran up to Jesus and he fell on his knees. I mean, he's, this is not some casual question. He's just wanting to know what Jesus, he's, he's serious. This is, this is important to him. 
And so he falls on his knees and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now you would think Jesus would be thrilled to get this question. It's much friendlier than the other questions Jesus has been getting lately. Uh, Questions like, should we pay taxes? Can I divorce my wife? Um, Most preachers would just, man, it would make their day if somebody came up to them and said, tell me, how can I be saved? Well, this is one of the very few places in the Bible where someone asked Jesus about eternal life or about going to heaven when I die. And notice that Jesus quickly changes the goal from going to heaven when you die to follow me. (laughs) Now, here, today. Because you see that that's always the case. Being a Christian is not just about going to heaven when you die. It's about following Jesus now, here, today, before we die. And and I want you to notice that this man thinks it's something he can do. Uh, It's something he can accomplish all on his own. Because he he asked Jesus, what must I do? And and when Jesus uh, questions him about the commandments, you know, again, he says, I have kept them all. And, And I don't think he's being arrogant. I think he's being very sincere. I think he has kept the letter of, of the law and each of these commandments. He, he has tried very hard to, to be a good person and do the right thing. And I, and I think Jesus understood it that way. I, th- I think he understood he was being sincere. Um, and, and notice Jesus didn't mention all the commandments. He just mentioned some of them, but it's interesting that all the ones he did mention are the ones that have to do with how we treat each other. Uh, there's always this link between um, eternal life and how we treat other people. So Mark said that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Now, so far, this story makes sense because here's a guy who has some spiritual questions. So he seeks out Jesus, who, you know, is, 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 you know, is a spiritual leader. This guy keeps the commandments. Uh, he's, he's a good person. You know, he, he is obedient to the law. He does all, you know, all the things you're supposed to do. He's, he's rich. And this is the point where you think Jesus would say, great, man, come and follow me. Come be a part of the team. That's not exactly what Jesus said. Jesus said, I'll tell you what. You want to have eternal life. Then go and sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And Mark says the man walked away sadly with his head down. And this is when Mark tells us that it was because he was very rich. Now, if we're honest, this story is hard to take. Because why would Jesus ask this man to give up everything he had to follow him. I mean, again, this man, you know, he's wealthy. He could be an asset to the team if Jesus understood how ministry budgets work. And then, you know, it it just, it doesn't seem to make sense to us, not to mention that it seems unfair 
to ask him to give up everything he has. I mean, Jesus didn't ask Zacchaeus to give up everything he had. So why does he ask this man? I mean, it just doesn't seem right. What would you do if Jesus said, give up everything you have and then you can come and follow me? I am so glad the preacher told me that all I had to do was get baptized and someday it may cost me 10%. (laughs) It wasn't until much later that I found out he lied. So as the man slowly walks away, Jesus turns to the disciples who are standing there with their chins on the ground. And he says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And for once, the disciples seemed to understand what he was saying because they were shocked. And they said, well, if that's true, then who can be saved? Who can get in the kingdom of God? Because you see, in their culture, as well as ours, people thought that wealth was a sign of God's blessing. And if someone was wealthy, somehow they worked harder or smarter. Here was a man who kept the commandments, wanted to do the right thing. He was obedient to God. He was rich. And listen, if a guy like that can't make it in, it doesn't bode well for the rest of us. Now, down through the years, people have tried to soften what Jesus said. They've tried to make his words more palatable. You may have heard this story, that there is a gate in Jerusalem called the Eye of the Needle. And that the only way, uh, you know, a trader would get through with his camel, the the top of the gate was low. And uh, if the camel got down on its knees, then the camel could get through the gate, uh, but it couldn't get through the gate standing up. So the only way the camel could get through the gate was to get down on his knees and go under the gate. And so what Jesus really meant was that if we'll just be humble, that's all that God requires. It won't cost us anything else. Except there really isn't a gate in Jerusalem called the eye of the needle. And there never has been. That story was made up in the 11th century by a priest to keep Jesus' words from offending the rich people in his congregation. Jesus said what he said. A camel was the largest animal in Palestine. The eye of a needle was probably the smallest opening you could think of. I don't know. Today, Jesus might say, it would be easier for Jeff Bezos to sail his yacht through the eye of a fish hook than it will be to get into heaven. It would be easier for Elon Musk to drive his Tesla through a mail slot than it will be for him to get into heaven. Now, if you find that offensive, then congratulations, you understand what Jesus is saying. And the disciple says, well, if it's impossible for rich folks to get into heaven, what about the rest of us? We can't get in either. And Jesus said, finally, you get it. (laughs) You're right. You don't get into heaven because you're rich. You don't get into heaven because you're not rich. 
You don't get into heaven because you're good. You don't get into heaven because you're not good. With human beings, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So what does the story mean? I mean, what does it mean to us? Well, first of all, Jesus doesn't have anything against rich people. He looked at this man and he loved him. He loved him. He loved him enough to offer him a life that was better than anything he had. What he had was getting in the way of the life he could have. Here's a guy who wanted to know what he could do to inherit eternal life. He didn't understand that you don't do anything to inherit a gift. An inheritance is a gift. You don't do anything to get it. Someone just gives it to you. And his, his, his problem was not his wealth. His problem was his self-sufficiency because he thought he could do everything by himself. And, and he, could, he could even earn his own salvation just by keeping the commandments and being a good guy. Does that sound familiar? And you see, here's one of the dangers of wealth is that it can make us self-sufficient. We don't have to pray that prayer, give us this day our daily bread. We can afford our own meals. We have steak and lobster if we want. A glass of wine, nice glass of wine, not that two buck chuck stock. You know. Probably three bucks now, I don't know. Something nice. I mean, we can take care of ourselves, so we don't really have to rely on God. And we can take care of ourselves, you know, in this life we, we can take care of things. So maybe we don't we don't really need God so much in this life because we, we've kind of got it. And then we start thinking, well, maybe if we don't need God in this life. Maybe we don't need God for eternal life either. I mean, maybe we can work out something, you know. I mean, everything's negotiable, right? So you see, the story really isn't about wealth or, or money. The story is about where do we put our trust? And what are we willing to do to follow Jesus? When Jesus called Peter and Andrew and James and John, they got up and, 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 and left their boats, left their businesses, left everything behind. They gave up everything. When he called Matthew, Matthew stood up from his tax collecting table and left everything to follow Jesus. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem where he will be beaten, whipped, suffer, be nailed to a cross, and he will die, all for the kingdom of God and all for us. Jesus is all in. He's all in. And I think he wanted this guy to know that following Jesus isn't a casual commitment. It's not something you do on the weekends. Jesus was telling this man if he wanted to follow him, he needed to be all in. Following Jesus is all gas, no brakes. 
And you see, we need stories like this because they shock us. <laughs> they, they shock us out of our watered-down version of Christianity that costs us nothing. One of my professors put it like this. He said, most Christians don't believe that one should sell all one has in order to be a disciple. Few even tithe to the church. Many believe that lacking just one thing would be close enough. <laughs> you know, if we found somebody 90% committed to Jesus, we'd be pretty excited. If we could be 90% committed to God, we would be excited. And then I heard a pastor several years ago say, you know what you call somebody 90% committed to God? 10% short. <laughs> Eternal life is a gift. We can't earn it. We can't buy it. And, and right before this man approached Jesus, Jesus had just been, um, there had been some children, and Jesus had blessed them. And after blessing them, he said to his disciples, unless you receive the kingdom of God like a little child, you will not enter it. It's as if Jesus had a sign, you know, that, that said, you know, if you're taller than this, you can't get into heaven. And I think what Jesus meant was that children know how to receive gifts. That's one thing they're good at. When our three daughters were children, um, we gave them gifts, and they just took them, and they enjoyed them. They didn't feel like they had to earn them. They didn't feel like they had to deserve them. Never once in my entire life did one of my children, when I gave them a gift, say to me, Dad, I can't accept this. I don't think I've been good enough this week. Not one time did any of my children ever say, well, Dad, I can't accept this gift because I don't think I can ever pay you back. No, they said, thank you, took it, and ran. <laughs> and that's exactly how we receive God's grace. We say, thank you, take it, and run. Nothing we can do earns it. It's a gift. And then once we understand the extravagance of God's grace to give us a gift like that, then we're all in. We understand that the life God is offering us here and now is better than any life we could have figured out on our own. We realize that God gives us this gift because it's impossible for us to earn and that God gives it to us because God loves us. You are the beloved of God. And when we understand that, man, we just want to be all in. Because whatever God, what God offers us is better than anything that might hold us back. So Jesus looked at this man who was trying so hard and he loved him. He loved him so much that he wanted to give him the gift that this guy was trying so hard to earn. He wanted to free him from what he had to live on so that he could enjoy what something to live for. He wanted him to just go all in and find the joy that comes from following Jesus. And that is what Jesus wants for you and for me. Amen.
You know, it occurs to me as the pastor who 